All right, everyone, we are live. And if you're joining us via podcast, uh, we are here. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Josh Bowen. We're going to be talking about his journey from Christianity to agnosticism. And we're going to be talking about some questions regarding his view of the Old Testament uh, from his perspective, from his research. A lot of good things. Uh, there's a long bio and description if you want to read about Dr. Josh, but he graduated from John Hopkins University in 2016 with a PhD in Assyriology. Uh, that's all I'll cover. But I mean, for people who, we'll just start with this. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Josh. How are you doing? Oh, uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm really looking forward to this. So just to start off, for people who do not know who you are, Dr. Josh Bowen, what could you say a little bit about who you are, what you do with like the digital hammer, hammer What's the correct pronunciation of that? Hammurabi. You got it. Hammurabi. You got it. All right. I'm trying. Uh, So just talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, things like that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I, uh, what to say, I got uh, uh, my master's degree in theology. Uh, I mean, I got a THM in uh, Old Testament studies from Capital Bible Seminary in 2009. um, And then I went to Johns Hopkins and I minored in Hebrew Bible and got my PhD in uh, Assyriology. So I studied ancient Iraq, um, the languages and cultures of ancient Iraq. So I learned Sumerian and Akkadian, which was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, once I graduated, uh, I, I uh, life changed a bit. And so uh, my wife and I, Megan, were sort of forced into... Um, leaving the academic world, which was unfun, but it opened up this door to uh, start a YouTube channel called Digital Hammurabi. And essentially what we do is we try to bring the ancient world, uh, ancient Near East, Hebrew Bible, all that stuff, to non-specialists. And uh, so uh, that's what we do, make videos and do fun interviews like this. And uh I'm sure I put my foot in my mouth any number of times, but uh, hopefully that won't happen too much tonight. So, Well, I mean, I appreciate you being willing to come out here and not be afraid to just kind of say what you believe. And I respect you, you a lot for that. Um, always appreciated that from what I've seen from you. Uh, so what got you interested in all of these, like in studying the ancient Near East uh, languages in the ancient Near East, things along those lines? Yeah, so I—I uh, I mean, I won't go into a whole bunch of detail, but I was a—I was a fundamentalist evangelical Christian, twenty-five years, twenty-six years, um, and so, you know, uh, when I joined the Air Force, uh, I, I immediately started taking classes uh, to try to get my bachelor's degree in religion, and I wanted to become a chaplain, Air Force chaplain. So, you know, I, that road took me down to seminary. So. Uh, when I got to seminary, I, I knew I had to learn Greek and Hebrew, so I started studying Greek. And I, I don't know why I do this, but I tend to take the road less traveled. Um, it might be because of curiosity. It's probably more because of fear. Uh, but but I always wanted to do things that fewer people were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I studied Greek, but then when I had the chance to study Hebrew, I started studying Hebrew because fewer people study Hebrew. Uh, and then started studying Aramaic. And then uh, when I graduated from uh, from Capital Bible Seminary, I uh, started studying at Hopkins and started doing Akkadian. But then I wanted I did Sumerian instead of Akkadian because fewer people do Sumerian. But, you know, all of that was driven by uh, I wanted to be the best Old Testament scholar 
that I could possibly be um, because you know, I thought there were a lot of people that um, I could, there were a lot of people in my denomination in particular, uh, which was sort of a Baptist spinoff denomination um, that, you know, could really do with a good dose of uh, understanding uh, some of the deeper aspects of the biblical text. So I wanted to go so that I could um, shore up people's faiths um, and, uh, you know, really be ultimately be a, a good pastor. Um, so that's what, that's what drove me mm. uh, getting into Hopkins. So, yeah. So this is a good transition. So for those of you listening, uh, we're kind of going to do this in two parts. The first part or three parts. The first part is just going to be talking about, uh, Dr. Josh and kind of his deconversion from Christianity and kind of where he's at now regarding his beliefs. The second part will be kind of looking at some Old Testament questions, Old Testament views from his perspective. And then we may do a little bit of audience Q&A if time allows. But I mean, we'll dive into this first part and let's just start off with, I mean, so you're an ag agnostic now. So I'm curious, what does it mean to you that you are an ag agnostic? Yeah, I mean, I know this about what it means to be an agnostic versus an atheist, and I, obviously that can be a very interesting discussion for other people. I don't, I, I, I'm not terribly philosophically minded, um, so I would say that uh, you know, if, if somebody had to define me, when people ask me, "Do you believe in God?" No. Do you know that there's not a God? No. So I feel like that puts me pretty square in an agnostic camp. Uh, but I, I guess some people would define me as an atheist uh, because I don't believe in God. I lack belief in God. But um, yeah, that's that's really what it means to me is that I, I haven't uh, I haven't seen convincing evidence uh, for the existence of God. But I'm not really I'm not really torn one way or another about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, I mean, I think a lot of people can try to put people in like, oh, if you just lack a belief, um, almost as it seems like for you, then you have to be an atheist or something like that. But I'm guessing for you, that's not really a priority, trying to figure out like what exactly your definition is and what it, term it fits into. Yeah, not not really. I mean, I, I'm not saying that those aren't important questions, but I, I, it's like cooking. You know, like cooking is a really important thing to do. But I'm very blessed that I have Megan as my wife because <laughs> I have no interest in it whatsoever. So sort of the same thing, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so just to start off a little bit here, you talked a little bit about this idea of you being a fundamentalist Christian. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier also about fundamental Christianity. So when, when you bring up the term fundamental Christianity, what, what did you believe uh, specifically and kind of like, what 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 do you see fundamental Christian Christianity as? Sure. So I mean, you know, first and foremost, um, I mean, I guess I know this will be, you know, basic to everybody listening, but uh, you know, in your audience. But you know, uh, I, I knew that I I was a sinner, and I wasn't a sinner because I sinned. I was a sinner because I was, um, you know, uh, in Adam. Uh, I had a, a sin nature, and because of that, uh, it, with respect to a holy God, uh, there was no way that I could enter into his kingdom because of that sin nature that I had. Um, and uh, I recognized that the penalty for that sin was death, uh, separation from God for all eternity, but that Christ had come and died on the cross 
not only for all humankind, but for me specifically. And that if I trusted in his finished work on the cross, that uh, I, I would have my sins forgiven, I'd be fully justified. Um, so I, that free gift of salvation was, uh, accepted and, uh, I trusted Christ for my salvation. And I did that as a, at a very early age. Uh, I, you know, probably six, I grew up with, um, uh, my grandparents and of course my parents, but my grandparents in particular were a very strong influence on me, uh, spiritually. And, um, you know, so my life was, um, at its core, was faith in Christ. And, uh, you know, every, every move that I made, every decision that I made, I tried to think, uh, you know, what, what, what is it that God would have me to do here? So, um, when I say fundamentalist, what I believe in the, you know, the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures, that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, uh, down to the grammatical forms, right? So, um, I didn't really think about it as deeply until I got to seminary, um, but once I did, you know, then it was a question of does the, you know, where does inerrancy, where does it extend? Did it extend to the manuscripts? Did it only go back to the autographs? Uh, you know, those sorts of questions I began to wrestle with. But, you know, the Bible was the infallible inspired inerrant word of God. Um, and it was preserved uh, supernaturally by him. And so, uh, you know, what that meant for me in the places that I that I thought about it, and when I say that, I, I mean, I didn't think an awful lot about things like evolution and does evolution square with Genesis and those sorts of questions. Um, you know, I always I was always able to kind of and please, Zach, if I start rambling on, just tell me to be quiet. <laughs> You're all good. man. I'm here to listen to you. Just ramble on as much as you want to. Um, you know, I, I I didn't I didn't really think too terribly much about scientific aspects of the inerrancy of the text, primarily because I thought things like, um, well, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created with apparent age, right? So they they weren't born looking like they, you know, they weren't created looking like they were two seconds old. You know, they'd probably, what, you know, look like they were in their 30s. And so if they were born with apparent age like that, then the rest of the universe you know, could be created with apparent age. And so, of course, if you dug down and um, you know, looked at the rocks, it would look like it was millions or billions of years old. And it was because God created it that way. And uh, the stars, you know, we just have light reaching us now. Not that I thought about that, but, you know, it was because God created it that way with apparent age. If you cut down a tree in the Garden of Eden, it would have rings, right? I mean, that, that, that was my thought. Um, and that, you know, I'm sure you want to talk about, I'll save that for later, but that's sort of that that fundamental, so that's what I mean by that, a fundamentalist approach, the inerrancy of the scriptures um, and the infallibility of the word of God. And I really, outside of like poetry, you know, in the Psalms or wisdom literature, if we want to still call it that, in the Proverbs, um, you know, outside of that, from a historical grammatical standpoint, I, I really didn't do a lot of genre differentiation in the Bible particularly in the Old Testament. So if it said that God created in seven days or six days and rested on the seventh, that was what happened. Six, six days of creation, literal days. Um, so that was my, that was my understanding of the biblical text. That was my hermeneutic, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about uh, your life as a Christian kind of leading up to the point of your deconversion? Like I know you talked a little bit, you were in the air force, you wanted to be a chaplain. Um, you're trying to follow God, things like that. So what, what, 
what did your faith look like? Was it like you were actively involved in like Bible studies and churches and things like that? And like, did your beliefs about Christianity kind of change as you approached this period where you eventually deconverted, uh, things like that. So what did, what did your faith look like uh, during this time? Yeah. So, you know, I was called Jesus boy throughout middle and high school, uh, because, you know, there were just, there were just things I wasn't going to do. Right. Uh, I got beat up a lot in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and in late middle school, because I, I didn't think it was the right thing to fight back, you know, it was, uh, and, and, and I was, I guess, you know, youth group was a huge thing for me, uh, really throughout the entirety of my, um, middle and high school time. Uh, so, you know, we had, a we had a ministry where we would go out and present the gospel to people. I did a mission trip to Mexico. Um, you know, but it was all about. It was all about presenting the gospel and, um, you know, winning others to Christ. And, you know, when I, I joined the Air Force when I was 17, and you know, I remember witnessing to people in basic training, which was not terribly popular. They had other things on their minds. Uh, but as soon as I got to Dover Air Force Base, which was my first duty station, um, I immediately started a Bible study of my own. Um, I was a dispensationalist, if that means anything to you. Um but I was a mid-axe dispensationalist, so I knew better than everybody else that was a dispensationalist. Uh, and if you don't know what dispensationalism is, that's probably not funny. But, um, but uh, you know, I, the biblical text was really, really important to me. So I read um, a, a lot in my it, from authors. Uh, I read a lot of authors in my denomination. There was a guy named C.R. Stam. Uh, somebody who was a little more controversial and then Keith Blades, you know, but the, I, I read the biblical text a lot. Um, I wrote a commentary on the book of Acts, which looked a lot like a commentary uh, that, that I had read, you know, um, it says, you know how that is. You, you understand a passage and then you write a commentary on it or you write something on it. It seems like you're just channeling the, the commentaries that you've read, uh, but that's what it looked like. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, the gospel was it, it, it foremost in my life. Um, so when I, uh, I got commissioned as a second lieutenant in 2003 and started seminary at Capital Bible Seminary and, um, you know, I knew everything when I started seminary, I knew everything, felt sorry for my professors cause I knew so much. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes for people on the podcast, you know, because I, I didn't know anything. But, um, you know, started studying Greek, started studying Hebrew, and, um, you know, realized pretty quickly that my very narrow um, denominational understanding uh, was, I still was a dispensationalist, but not a, you know, a mid-axe dispensationalist. Anyway, um, but I remember I, I was in seminary for six years, got my THM, and I taught Hebrew for the last two years that I was there. And I somehow got accepted to Johns Hopkins in the Assyriology program. And I, when, I, when I found out, it was, uh, I remember having a conversation the last semester that I was teaching and writing my thesis. Um, I had a conversation with the dean and, and he, he stopped me on the way out teaching a class. And he said, so Hopkins is a pretty liberal place. You know, are you, uh, you ready? And I remember I had my I had my Hebrew Bible with me, but I held it up, and I'll never forget it. I held my Hebrew Bible up, and I said, 
I'm going into the lion's den, but I'm going to win souls for Christ. Mm. And I really, that's, I mean, that's how I went into Hopkins. Um, and it was, it was so apparent, uh, uh, apparently going in that I remember, I won't mention his name, but a really good friend of mine that was several years ahead of me in the program at Hopkins said to me, um, so how long do you think your, uh, your fundamentalism, how long do you think your, your evangelical faith is going to last? And I said, like, you know, hold on, man. Cause you know, you're not gonna, you're not getting taken it away from me. And uh, he kind of chuckled and he said, we'll see, which, you know, looking back was not the nicest thing in the world to say to me, but, uh, um, you know, that was, uh, that's, that's what life was like leading up to it. Um, it was, it was who I was. So, uh, heading into Hopkins, uh, you're, you're an evangelical, uh, did you hold to some of those fundamentalist beliefs, such as like a, a young earth view and things like that still when you were, after you'd gone through seminary? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, not that, so the seminary that I went to was a fundamentalist seminary. So, uh, professor Todd Beal, um, he was part of a, a conference with, um, John Collins and I think Richard Averbeck and there were a couple other guys and they were looking at Genesis one through 11. Um, and he was Todd Beale was the conservative on that panel, you know? So, uh, you know, he held to a very literal view, um, of, uh, you know, of Genesis one, for example, seven days of creation or seven literal days. Uh, whereas, you know, and there was a literal Adam and Eve and it was, you know, uh, for the 6,000 years old. Um, so, you know, while there was, you know, some flexibility, I suppose, in that with the other members of the panel, they were all evangelicals, all members of, um, you know, the ETS. Uh, but, but, you know, my school was very, uh, very much, I think in that way. And again, I didn't, I, I'm not scientifically minded. So that those, those types of things like a young earth wasn't really problematic for me. Um, it was, for me, it was more the historical aspects. So, you know, the conquest accounts, uh, how does that square with the early chapters of judges? Those were the, you know, those were the questions that I wrestled with, but, uh, had good answers. You know, um, I thought I, I had, I had pretty good answers for those things going in. So, yeah. And as we build up to this, I'm curious. So now can, can you talk a little bit about your, deconversion from Christianity? Like what, what were some of the things that caused you to doubt your faith, which eventually led to you leaving Christianity? And yeah, just, we'll just start with that and just talk about that. Yeah. And, and before I do, like, you know, I, I don't want anybody listening or anybody watching to think that, you know, my goal here is to somehow, um, you know, cause, cause doubt or anything or, or bring anybody's faith. That's, that's my wife is a Christian in case anybody doesn't know that. Um, so like, that's, that's not my point here, uh, whatsoever. So I hope it doesn't come across that way. And anything that I say, Zach, please feel free to, to challenge me on that. That's absolutely fine. Um, but for me, given my very fundamentalist background, um, I took amongst the other many courses that I took my first semester at Hopkins, there's a uh, there's a three year cycle that everybody goes. So you have three years of coursework at Hopkins, 
um, before you start writing your dissertation. Excuse me. And um, each year you had there's a history cycle. So there's Syro-Palestinian um, history one one year, then the next year is Egyptian history, then the, the last year is Mesopotamian history. And I happened to come in on the Syro-Pal, you know, the, the, the history of Syro-Palestine. And I, I just remember, you know, we had to read probably a thousand pages a week um, of articles and monographs, you know, those sorts of things uh, to come into class each week for a discussion. And I just, I remember reading through um, these articles and these books and learning about the Amarna period, you know, in the, in the 14th century or, you know, learning about the, the Bronze Age, late Bronze Age collapse or, you know, learning about the Philistines and, and I, I don't know that there was any one thing um, necessarily. I remember the Philistines stuck out. I had to write a paper on the Philistines. And as I wrote it, I just thought, geez, this just doesn't seem to match up um, with what the biblical texts say. Um, and that was, if there was one thing that stands out, it was the Philistines. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was just going through this this course, and at the same time, um, I'm reading. I'm beginning to read Akkadian and Sumerian literature, right? And if and I don't, Zach, I don't know how much you get into this stuff, but um, you know, if you if you read through um, the, the 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 Genesis flood story, for example, in six through nine, and then you read the story of Atrahasis. Uh, the Akkadian story of Atrahasis, or you read the Gilgamesh epic, Tablet 11, you'll very quickly see that these two texts have a lot in common. Um, and, you know, the Akkadian story probably has its its origin, its written form, probably in the 17th century, 18th century BCE. Um, so, you know, long, long before... Um, the biblical text was, was, was written and there's a Sumerian story, flood story that goes, you know, earlier than that, uh, probably a little bit earlier in the early second millennium. So, you know, for me, it was it, the combination of seeing that the biblical text, particularly the old Testament were not unique in what they wrote. Um, and, then seeing from a historical aspect and an archaeological aspect problems with the Philistines or problems with, uh, from an archaeological standpoint, the conquest account and how Jericho doesn't have the destruction layer that we need or the city of Ai doesn't have the destruction that we need for either a 14th century or, I mean, a late 15th century or a, or a you know, 1200 destruction. Uh, it, it, a conquest, you know, it's just, in other words, it was all of these things started to, to pile up on me. And uh, I remember, I think it was probably at the end of the first semester, near the end of the first semester, I threw in the towel. And I said, well, you know, if this historical thing isn't right, and this archaeological thing proves that this historical thing didn't happen, and the flood account, you know, came from a story a thousand years earlier, 1200 years earlier, maybe more, well, then this whole is all just must be hooey, right? And I became a pretty, pretty hardline atheist. Um, like, there is no God. That's what I said. There is no God. 
not that I was like an activist with it or anything, but just that there's just, there's no God. Um, and I'll, I'll stop after this, but uh, there was a friend of mine that went to seminary with me. His name was Mark. And, uh, Mark was such a good friend to me. Uh, I, you know, if anybody doesn't know, Johns Hopkins is in Baltimore city and I, I get a lot of, I have a lot of anxiety issues and I don't like driving in the city. I just hate it. So, uh, I would, I would park. I, 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 I had an apartment up there that I rented out during that. I'd stay up there during the week. And then I would drive back home to Winchester, Virginia, where I lived. And, uh, I, I, well, I would park Sunday afternoon and I wouldn't move until Friday when I left. And so I wouldn't leave the city and it was, I was just very, he, he, I think he could sense that I was feeling a little trapped. He would drive up, uh, every Thursday and pick me up after my epigraphy class. And he would drive me down to Uno's pizzeria and we would, he, we would have an Uno's pizza and you know, of course, he was same. Uh, he was an evangelical Christian, and he would sort of, throughout the the rest of that first year, he kind of pulled, you know, kept kept trying to pull me back from, uh, you know, going into further and further into um, into atheism. Which, you know, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to go into atheism, but I mean, from his perspective, that was a bad thing to do. And um, I think probably by the end of the first year, I had kind of calmed down a little bit. Um, that's not the right way to say that, but thought it through, I guess, a little bit more and settled into like a soft agnosticism. So, yeah. So, uh, we'll start with this one. One question is, uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds and all of this, but a lot of the things you talked about, uh, regarding kind of your deconversion were things that were referenced in the old Testament, old Testament mm -hmm. passages. Did you have any sort of like similar doubts regarding like the new Testament and like the stories of Jesus and the epistles and all those things were the, was that part of your deconversion or was it mostly like kind of looking at these old Testament things and seeing they didn't add up in your eyes? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. If you, if anybody knows me or watches anything that I, that I say online, I'm like this in person too. I'm very, uh, I, I'm very hesitant to talk about things that I'm not, that I don't feel like I have any expertise in. And I think the same is true in my thoughts. <laughs> so, you know, I had gotten a master's in theology in Old Testament studies. I had taken six years of Greek, you know, I translated through Hebrews. I translated through all these really difficult passages, but, but, um, it wasn't my major, you know? So because of that, I think I have this thing in my brain where it's like, well, that's not your major. Um, and if you haven't spent significant, you know, time at some elite level, at least more than I had that, that it, it wasn't really, um, something that I, I needed to wade into or should wade into anyway. So that being said, my because of my fundamentalist view, um, the entirety of the biblical text was the inspired word of God. So, uh, I guess what was good for the goose was good for the gander, right? If if there were all these problems in the Hebrew Bible, well, it you know that's it. Uh, I don't really need to look further, right? Um, because you know God God was supposed to preserve the entirety of the text. Um, so yeah, and and the thing is, I haven't really given given the rest of my. Um, given the rest of my educational, my, my 
educational trajectory, I suppose, focusing on the Hebrew Bible and other ancient Near Eastern literature, you know, things like the resurrection haven't really come into my purview. Um, so, you know, actually, uh, maybe a couple months ago, I, uh, I, I thought, you know what, people were sort of pushing me. Josh, I want you to do some reading in the secondary literature on the resurrection, read about the resurrection. And so I, I started to try to make time to do it. And it's uh, it, so I actually put out on Twitter, right? What give me the books that you guys would recommend for reading about the resurrection? Because, you know, when I was at seminary, I read all about it, right? But I read it from a with a positive mindset. So, I mean, I remember teaching. I taught Sunday school. I pastored a church for seven years. I probably should have mentioned that, but I pastored a church for seven years. And I, you know, I went through all the evidences for the resurrection and all the arguments. And does the swoon theory hold up? And, you know, does. Uh, the missing body, hold up, you know, you know I, I knew all the, all the arguments, but from a, from a pro mindset, um, I'd never looked at them from a negative mindset. And, you know, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Um, it's, it's, it's probably a lame excuse or a silly excuse, but I just don't have a lot of time to do that. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, I having not a lot of time is a common thing among people, especially in America, uh, that I've seen, uh, so has your, you talked about how you kind of settled into like a soft ag agnosticism. I'm guessing it's kind of similar to where you're at now. Have your beliefs yeah. changed since you talked about how you kind of like settled into this soft agnostic belief? It's a good question. I think probably the answer is, um, well, let me say it this way. People are always, people asked me, um, what was it like to go to uh, a liberal? Uh, they, I guess they say it more like, well, of course you don't believe in God. You went to Johns Hopkins liberal school. And people are often very surprised to hear that many of the faculty in my department are Christian, right? Uh, the, the, and, and that sort of strikes this weird chord with people. Wait a minute, you know, but, but all those people would say that, um, you know, that they would say uh, the documentary hypothesis or some you know redaction form of the of the Hebrew Bible that's you know it's, it's a valid way to look at at the the formation of the Pentateuch or the formation of the you know the, the biblical text the Hebrew Bible and um yeah but but so then they say well wait a minute what did they say when you went through Ezekiel you translated through Ezekiel what did they say about Ezekiel 26 and it was like what it didn't really come up it's not it's not really important because um one's belief in, in to the greatest extent possible i think i i think people try to keep their theological hat over here and their you know academic hat over here and uh try not to let try not to let the two influence one another um well at least one direction uh but uh, so i haven't it really kind of went on the I don't even know that it went on the back burner. It just stopped being an issue for me. Um, now, that being said, I had a very, probably my best friend, who's also an evangelical, was at Hopkins with me. Um, and uh, I won't say his name, but like, you know, he's uh, he's doing a postdoc. I think he's still out there doing a postdoc at, uh, at uh, Cambridge at Tyndale. Um, but he's an Assyriologist, you know, graduated the year after I did, and brilliant scholar. Um, 
but you know, he's still an evangelical. He went to Trinity out in, in uh, Illinois, and um, you know, he he dealt with a lot of the things before uh, he got to Hopkins that I dealt with when I got to Hopkins, mm. um, and we had conversations incessantly. Uh, while we were translating through Sumerian texts, you know, we'd sit there at five in the morning in the library and I'd say, how do you know that what you're feeling this, you know, because it would always come back to a subjective experience. Right. I, you know, I, I believe uh, that, you know, I, I have I've had personal experiences uh, with Jesus Christ, you know, and, and I can tell that the Holy Spirit is interacting with me. And, um, and so how do you how do you know that that's not Enki? And how do you know that's not Enlil? Um and it's, so, so those are the conversations that we would have. Um, so, but no, I, I, I would say I've just probably stayed in a similar place because it hasn't been terribly important to me to move. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I'm not going to try to like force you into some corner on like, you have to believe <laughs> this. I think that's <laughs> a mistake a lot of people make. Um, so I'd love to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you talk about how you, you haven't seen a good reason to believe in God. Obviously, it's one thing to – you could reject Christianity and still be some sort of like a deist or maybe even like a pantheist, even though it's a little bit different, um, something along those lines. So uh, two two parts to this. We'll just start with the first part. Why did you go all the way to um, where you're at now where you don't see a reason to believe in God? I think that – um, a lot of it has to do with, and again, talking my opinion here, um, I think for me, a lot of it has to do with, I see, f for example, um, given that I can read this ancient Near Eastern literature and I can, you know, I can read these Sumerian and Akkadian texts and, and I can, I can read Ugaritic texts and, um, and of course read the Hebrew and then you know, see how see how people interacted with what they considered to be the divine throughout history. Um, seeing the similarities, seeing how things develop, seeing how those mythological texts were used to further people's own purposes. Um, I guess in the end, I I kind of came down on well, I I don't see the necessity of a supernatural explanation for these things. Um, and it's interesting to me because I think that most, most Christians that I have interacted with would say that, at least initially, uh, uh, about Sumerian uh, mythological texts or Akkadian mythological texts. Uh, most people would say, if I, if I were to say, do you think that those are divinely inspired? Well, no, no, they're not divinely inspired. Um if they're pressed, they might think and say, well, maybe Satan inspired them or something. But, um, you know, most people don't, most Christians that I know don't have a problem saying, no, Atrahasis isn't, you know, a story that's inspired by God. Um, no, no, no deity, I suppose, required for Atrahasis, right? No deity required for Enkin and Horsak, um, or the Epic of Gilgamesh or, you know, any of these other stories. Um, and I guess that's where I where I kind of landed with um, the Hebrew Bible, and ultimately, I suspect with uh, the New Testament text as well. Um, that that 
a natural explanation, like a human explanation. Um, I don't want to say suffices, but I mean, like it, it can be, I think, well explained mm-hmm. with natural, natural processes. Um, so, uh, like, I don't know that I'm at a place where I would say there is no God. Like, uh, like, like from an epistemological standpoint, like I know there's no God. Um, but, um, I, I just, there's nothing that I've been confronted with to date that I've said, I can't really, I can't really, uh, not that I can't explain it because I don't know anything about big bang cosmology or, you know, what plonk time or whatever. Like I've told you more than I know about it. Um, so I couldn't explain you know, how that, how that came to be. But given what I've seen, uh, I suppose inductively, I would conclude, um, that it's, it's more likely, um, that, that it has some natural explanation that I just, I don't know, or we don't know as humans. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's fair. Uh, is there anything, um, what, what would, if anything would convince you that maybe there is a reason to believe in some sort of like theism? Yeah. I mean, let me say from the outset of this question that I I hate that I don't have my faith anymore. Mm. I hate it. And I've said that online before and I, I think it's it's worth it's worth saying again. Um so you're not looking at or listening to someone who is like shaking their fist at, at the God of the Old Testament. Um, I, I hate that I lost my faith because there's a, there's a comfort that I don't have anymore. Um, now, now maybe, maybe that will come in time, you know, that a new comfort will, will come. Uh, but I mean, I, this is for, you know, 25, 26 years, this was the core of my being. Um, and so I, yeah, I I wish that I were convinced of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that being said, yeah, I mean, I I don't know the answer to that. I'd like to say, you know, having having an experience with the numinous, you know, with with the divine, to to such an extent that it would convince me. Uh, you know, God appearing before me, uh, you know, I mean, that, these are all very, I'm sure, standard responses to that question, but I don't know, right? I mean, would, would my, would my brain, what is that movie where, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name, but she, she gets a signal, like a message from outer space and she builds this, they build this ship based on those instructions. And she, she, she spins around, this thing spins around the ship and, uh, she goes to some other galaxy or something and and when she comes back it's you know people say look you've you've been gone two seconds like you 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 weren't gone right we just you you've always been here she's absolutely convinced that she's had this experience but you know then she wrestles with it was it all hallucinations i mean i don't know if that would be uh where i would land right um because we we live in a different day than you know, um, than the apostles did. Um, so yeah, 
I don't know. That's a good question that I don't know that I have a good answer to. Sorry. Oh, on a different note, the people in the live chat are saying contact with Jody Foster. Does that ring a bell for yes, you? That's it. That is it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we may not solve the existence of God today, but we did. We did. Identify we know that. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with movies. So luckily, there's people listening who know um, what's up. So, kind of a similar question, and I, I'm guessing, obviously, you're you you would become a Christian if if you if you we're convinced that Christianity is true based on what you've said beforehand. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of a similar question, and I'm guessing it's going to be somewhat of a similar response, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, what would convince you that Christianity is true? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. So, okay. Um, I think I've come to a, I think I've come to a place where, uh, inerrancy wouldn't be an issue for me. Like, so let, let's take Megan for an example. I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. You know, Megan is a Christian. She's an Anglican and, um, you know, inerrancy is not something that she, uh, holds to, or is, uh, she was surprised that that was a thing when she came to the States. Hmm. Um, so like, that's not an issue for her. The, 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 uh, nature of inspiration, not a question that she really wrestles with. Um, but you know, Jesus Christ is her Lord and savior. And, and again, I don't want to speak for, her. I, it's probably not a good thing for me to do, but, um, you know, Jesus is, is really at the core, right? Um, and so all of these other issues sort of melt away. They're, they're not really problematic for her. So if you, if you were to say to her, oh, you know, have you thought about Q, you know, or yeah, is there marking priority or something like it's just, why, 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 what, like, why would I even care about that? Um, or does it bother you that Romans five, one, it could be in the subjunctive or it could be in the indicative, you know, like let us have uh, peace with God or we have peace with God. Does that really bother you? Does it keep you up at night? No, it doesn't keep her up at night. Um, and that's probably the type of Christian that I would be. Right. Um, and so I suspect at this stage, it would be more about a personal experience. I think, um, yeah, um, I think it would ha I think it would have to be a personal experience. But that's not a very satisfying answer, is it? I mean, Sorry. I I appreciate your honesty. Your honesty is the most not trying to be cheesy, but your your honesty is the most satisfying answer to me to me. Um so you talked about this like idea of a personal what will I don't know how much you really know what this personal experience would be like, but like uh you talk about this personal experience. What 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 kind of personal experience would you be like, okay, I guess this whole christian they think it's true yeah i mean I'll, I'll i can i can sort of couch it um in what my experience used to be so um i asked my the friend that i was talking about earlier i asked him like how do you know that um jesus exists you know how do you know that christ died for your sins how do you know that that's real and he said you know it, it's I can't explain how I know that, but I, I, I know it like I know the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Um, and 
I think that when I was a Christian, um, you know, from a doctrinal standpoint, I was incredibly orthodox, right? Uh, and I had a walk with Christ. And when I say that, what I mean is I would wake up in the morning and if I was having a bad morning or if I was having a bad day, I could pray and I could, I could, it's, it, it always sounds weird to say I could feel that comfort, but like I, I could, I could sense that connection that I had um, with God. And I, you know, I knew that the Holy Spirit was inside of me and was working things uh, together for good, you know, but, but, one of the things that I think was most disturbing to me in the end um, of my sort of journey into agnosticism was that for probably a year, maybe more, after uh, you know I, I, I deconverted, um, I would periodically still pray, and it was mostly for comfort. It was, it, it, but but it was also the prayers that I had were. Uh, I'd be driving down the road and I'd say, God, if I've got this all wrong, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, if, if you're there, let me know somehow, you know, um, those, those sorts of prayers. And I always still felt that comfort. I still felt that connection, um, to God. And then one day I didn't, uh, one day I prayed and it was the same kind of prayer and it had been, you know, three, four months since I'd done it. And it was just, there was just no connection. And it was disturbing to me. Um, and while that all sounds very, uh, I don't know, strange to somebody maybe that hasn't trusted Christ uh, for their salvation, um, it was, it's a very real thing um, to, to sense, um, I don't know, and, and I don't want to sound charismatic in any way. But like to, to sense the the Holy Spirit, to sense, um, yeah, but it's it's not a physical sense. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's a bad, it's a bad, it's bad for me to try to describe it because I don't know how. But um, yeah, um, so the, I guess given that, um, I I just don't know. I don't know that that would do it anymore. Um, I think it would have to be like a. Something, something tangible. Tangible is not even the right word, but I don't know. Something that I could actually see and hear. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I think it's okay. Answer. I think. I mean, it's something that I can relate to. There's been times where I mean, obviously, I'm a Christian, so I believe things differently than you do. But there's been times where I felt like, you know, kind of this like something something missing almost a little bit um, in your prayer. So I totally understand where you're coming from uh, with, with, with what you're saying. I'm curious, um, trying to think where I want to take this. There's so much that we could talk about. So Wherever so you want to go, man. If you, you, <laughs> you, can, you can dump what we were going to talk about later, man. Go wherever you want to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, so what do you think of like other people who have claimed to have not necessarily just like a feeling, but like have, have like seen, like, for example, there's a lot of Muslims who would say they've had dreams where they've seen Jesus and it's kind of led them from Islam, like the Bill Qureshi, a famous example. And there's been many more other Muslims in the same line things. Many people would say that they've seen like, or an experienced Christ in ways that cannot be explained and it must be God. And, 
that's kind of led them to a belief in Christianity. So, so how do you look at these things from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you'd asked me that, um, 15 years ago, uh, you know, my, my response would have been Satan at work. I mean, not, not Satan at work, God at work. Sorry. <laughs> Thinking the other direction initially, uh, somebody being led away into, into, into Islam, but, um, but no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's God at work and, and, you know, movement of the Holy spirit and, and he's, you know, drawing people to himself. Um, I don't like, uh, so I really don't like it when people tell me why I've deconverted. Mm. Uh, I, it's, it's frustrating to me. It's frustrating to me when people tell me that I was never saved. Um, generally speaking, the people that tell me that I was never saved, um, don't seem to understand the gospel terribly well. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's not a case to be made in first John for that sort of thing, but um, it's just been, been my experience, but they're, they're very quick to tell me that I was never saved. And it seems like it's for a comfort for themselves uh, to tell me that I was never saved, which is fine uh, for them. I don't like it because it seems like it's very intrusive. Um, you don't know my heart, not you, Zach, but that yeah. person doesn't know yeah. my heart. I totally get what you're saying. Um, so I, I tend to be hesitant to th think, think too much about, uh, people's spiritual experiences. Um, because I, I think that that could be real, right? Um, I just, I don't know. Uh, that being said, if you pressed me and you said, all right, you know, gun to your head, Josh, you got to tell me, what do you think this is? You know, I, I guess that I would say, I think that the, um, you know, the, the human brain is very complex and um, people have experiences in life uh, that can that lead them to see and hear things, which is one of the reasons that I'm even hesitant myself to say, well, if I saw something, then, you know, I would believe I don't I don't I don't, I don't even know that that's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I suspect there's a there's a there could be a very good natural explanation for those sorts of things. Um, and I think that would extend to things like the miraculous you know, um, Craig Keener's monster book, uh, on, you know, the miraculous. I think that, that those things probably have a good natural explanation, but I'm, who, who am I to, to, to make that determination? So uh, I'm thinking of somebody in particular, and I won't mention their name, but you know, they're, they're pretty popular here on social media. And, um, you know, they say that they, they, they heard a voice, they heard the voice of God. And like, there's, I'm not, I'm, there's no way that I would pass judgment on uh, whether they, whether they did or not. Uh, so maybe they did. Um, and, and really there's a part of me deep down that says, but I hope they did. And I hope that that's uh, that's a God that's going to speak to me uh, mm. someday, you know? Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of really interesting stuff here that you bring up. So I'm curious, you talked a little bit about how you can get frustrated um, when Christians will say, hey, you were never saved or things like that. So what what do you think of like a passage like Romans 1 where it talks about like where a lot of people say, you know, if you're if you're not a Christian, you're, su you're suppressing the truth of the, the knowledge of God and things like that. How do you look at that um, from your yeah. perspective? I mean, I think that, you know, now stepping sort of into my uh, I don't think that the New Testament texts are divinely inspired position. Um, 
in early Christianity, and again, outside of my field of expertise, uh, so just say that at the outset. I say that a lot, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> You're all good. Um, but I suspect, you know, early Christians, uh, I mean, if if you look at 1 John 2, for example, I think it's 1 John 2, um, but you you have, and not just 1 John, obviously, uh, you know, you, you've got it, what, in Second Peter, I think it's Second Peter. I've started to lose track of my, I haven't, I haven't done New Testament stuff these 10 years, but, um, you know, you have... One of the big things that you see seemingly in early Christianity is 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 people uh, leaving the faith, right? Some people leaving the faith because uh, of of the cost, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, obviously, I think I think that gets worse. Uh, of course, I'm not a New Testament historian, but um, you you definitely seem to have people in the New Testament text that seems like they're dealing with communities where people are leaving the faith, right? And there's there's got to be a way uh, to to say to the faithful. I mean, you you see this in the Maccabean era. You know, I think you see this in the Book of Daniel. Um, there's a there's hold fast, right? Stand firm. Don't lose the faith. I mean, look at the Book of Hebrews, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Zach, but just for people listening, maybe that don't know, you know, the Book of Hebrews is look look at these Hebrews 11. Look look at these people that. That, that's this great cloud of witnesses that stood firm in the faith and they didn't even get to see the things that they were hoping for. Um, and yet they, they held firm in their faith. And I think that when you see someone defect, you know, defect, um, there's got to be a rationale for that because in particular, the Pauline doctrine seems to be, um, uh, that, uh, you, you know, people are, have, people are sealed. By the Holy Spirit of promise, right? That their 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 salvation is sure. Um, and so, how is it this this sort of paradox, right? Where you've got somebody like me. Uh, <laughs> I had a conversation with a pastor online a couple months ago, and he was being very antagonistic with me. I, I don't feel like I'm an antagonistic person. Maybe I am, and I just don't know it. But. Um, you know, he, he, you were never saved. You were never saved. And, and I said, look, here's what I believed. You tell me if I was saved. And I laid out in five tweets uh, the gospel that I believed and whereby I was saved uh, to try to keep it with Paul. And, you know, in the end, he said, oh, well, I mean, it sounds like you were. Well, you're just a pot. You're just, you know, apostate. You're just, you know, falling away from the faith. I don't know why I can't pronounce apostasy. Um but you, you'll come back. You'll come back from to the faith. You're not, you know, you haven't lost your salvation. You, know, you were saved. So, yeah, it's, but it's this, I, for him, it was a clear, it seemed pretty clearly to be a defense mechanism, right? Like, you were never saved. But yeah, I, look, I, by your standards, I was, right? By my standards, I was. Oh, well, then you're still saved, right? You, you'll come back to the faith. It's a, there's a, there's a way to, to deal with, um, someone leaving your community of faith in such a way to deal with it in such a way that you don't lose heart. Um, um, you know, they went out from us because they were never of us. Right. And uh, I think that's, I think that's the, uh, the message that you get. So, you know, when you look at something to bring it back to Romans one, sorry. Um, I think this is the rationale, right? You have, you have this natural theology that Paul is talking about. You see it in places like Psalm 19 and you say, okay, 
Um, God is the God of creation. God shows himself in his great majesty. Psalm 104, you know, he pushes back the waters, right? You know, um, he's, he's the God of creation. He demonstrates his power and his presence and all these things. Um, and so man can't help but see. Man can't help but see his glory uh, and, and, and know of his existence just by looking around at, at the created world and the created order. Um, and I think Paul picks up on this, right? And and so I think because, I mean, again, you know all this, Zach. I feel like I'm just talking to the audience that might not know this. But, um, you know, when you think about Paul's Paul's dealing there in Romans with how is it that um, how is it that people are all guilty before God? How are the Jews guilty before God? How are the Gentiles guilty before God? How's everybody guilty before God? You know, the whole world stands guilty before him. Um, and how can that be? How about those that haven't heard, you know? Um, and and I think that uh, because of this, this, this paradox where you've, you've got a question of what about the people that haven't heard, you know? Um, and and how do, how does God hold them responsible? How did God hold people responsible before the law? You know, how could they be condemned before the law? And I, I again, I think all of these things deal with this. And I'll stop preaching. Sorry, you're uh, good. You're good. You're good. But I think all of these things, you know, Paul is using to say, um, God has thought about all this. God has taken care of all of this. Um, and so, if you have people that um, uh, that are either in unbelief or you know uh, have have never come to believe, um, they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They're holding that truth down, um, so they are at fault. It's not that they it's not that they don't know enough to believe. It's that they do know, and because God's revealed it to them through look look around, you, you, nobody can deny that. Um, they just suppress it because they want to live in sin, right? They want to do all these horrible things that He talks about there, Romans. So. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, I, but I, again, I think that's a natural, from my perspective, that's a natural response of somebody that's trying to explain how this sort of paradox can actually, you know, um, work out, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Um, so I'm curious about how do you, so obviously you're an agnostic and your wife's uh, an Anglican Christian. So how do, how do you think you guys can look at, um, you're both, I mean, you're, you got your doctorate in seriology and I know she's, she's pursuing her doctorate in seriology. Is that correct? So okay, how do you, yeah. so similar course load, similar like studies that you guys have done. How do you think you guys have, can look at kind of like the similar, similar writing, similar studies, similar mm -hmm. things and come to different conclusions? Like, yeah, I think that's a fair question. Um, and again, I, I, I think that, um, looking at her as an Anglican uh, and then looking at my friend who maintains an evangelical position. Um, and I think that because I've asked him, I've asked him that um, I haven't really asked her that cause it's, it's not, it's not as much of a, I think I understand her mindset a little bit better um, just cause I live with her. But, <laughs> that would help. But, you know, I, I remember asking him, like, you, I said, you know, you know about Mesopotamian religion. You, you, you know about all these things that I know about. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, 
you know, the Sumerian flood story long predates the biblical flood story. And yes, the biblical writers are, uh, you know, utilizing uh, the Atrahasis flood story. And in fact, you can see it in, in, in other parts of Genesis. In the creation account, you can see parallels to it. Um, but it's a faith position that he has, and it's a faith position that my wife has. And I, I think that, um, and again, not, not wanting to speak for them, but I think that uh, they have they have faith. See, here's the thing. I guess maybe this is a better way to say it. Is it possible? One of the things that Skylar and I talk about all the time, uh, Skylar Fiction on our channel, uh, on his channel, sorry, not on our channel, on his channel, is um, that, sorry, I'm just going to turn the air conditioning down because I'm dying. Am I really um, you that hard that you're like sweating? No, it's uh, <laughs> it, the, the house. We've got these um, uh, eco-friendly thermostats or something. So at a certain time, they kick up, you know, to be, uh, to, and, and of course it went from the temperature. I have MS and so heat kills me. Uh, and they kicked up to a really high temperature to save. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about all this. Um, and I forgot what I was saying. Uh, we were talking about um, faith and uh, stuff along that lines and how yeah. y your friend and your wife can come to a different conclusion, but in uh, yeah. different. Mm -hmm. That's right. So uh, like on Skylar's channel, we talk a lot about, um, we'll have Theus come on and we'll talk about things like, uh, you know, first Samuel 15 with the Amalekites, for example, or, you know, the conquest account or, uh, any of these other things where it seems like there's a contradiction within the biblical text itself, right? How can, uh, a loving God who commands love your neighbor as yourself, um, also command, you know, the, the, the wiping out of a, of an, of a, uh, an indigenous people group. Um, and ultimately, very, very often, the response is, and I think it's a, a perfectly fine response, well, God, we can't understand his ways, right? There's there's mystery to the divine, and God's ways are higher than ours, and so he has morally justified reasons that we just can't know. And I think that, I think that ultimately that's a possibility right i think that's possible when you think about the problem of evil um i think that that's pot that's a possible understanding that can that can make logical sense right that god just has these has these morally justified reasons that he hasn't revealed to us um or that that, that free will requires agents that are going to sin and so that's you know i think those things are possible I think, to me, they're not adequate explanations. I don't think that they're probable. And I, I, I wonder if they do think that they're probable. Um, but again, I think it ultimately doesn't come down to the data. We all have the same data. And, you know, for, for example, my friend at Hopkins, I remember, uh, I mean, my friend from Hopkins, I remember we went to a conference and I told him that we were sitting there having a beer. And I said, you know, it's funny. I, I was telling him about the Digital Hammurabi channel. And I said, yeah, you know, we, uh, 
I just did a video on the prophecy in Ezekiel 26, you know, the, the failed prophecy in Ezekiel 26. And uh, he said, why? And I said, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, but, but like, there are a lot of videos out there talking about, you know, all the reasons why, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but all the reasons why it wasn't a failed prophecy that, you know, like, Oh, it's talking about Alexander the great, or it's, you know, these many nations and Ezekiel 26. And it's, it's he was like, it's a weird position. Of course, it was a failed prophecy. And he says it in chapter 29, right? But he's an evangelical Christian. How is it that an evangelical Christian can say that Ezekiel 26 is a failed prophecy? You know, failed prophecy. Um, well, because that's not part of his belief, right? He doesn't need Isaiah 53 or Isaiah 714 in their original context to refer to Jesus, right? Um, they referred to you know, near what near antecedents, um, their near reference, and he would just say that God intended them to have, you know, a, a later reference. But that the, the problems that I, as a fundamentalist Christian, had you know, big problems with things that I had big problems with. Uh, Ezekiel twenty six couldn't be a failed prophecy, no way, because that would mean Ezekiel is not a real prophet, and you know that would bring the whole system cr crashing down. And uh, for him, those those aren't issues. So I, I think that um, you know he he allows the data to be what it is, and he has a different structure, a different faith structure that allows for those things. Okay, um, this has been a great discussion. Uh, I think the title of this was actually understanding the Old Testament from an agnostic's perspective. So I don't think we got into too much of that. But I mean, you know, maybe another time. I've really yeah, I'd love to come back on if you want me to. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, we'll conclude with one last question. Um, let's, let's just say that Christianity is true um, and you kind of stay where you're at. You don't really have, you don't believe in this resurrection and you come to face God. And let's just say um, you would have become a Christian, but if you believed it was true, but you just, you just, you just, where you're, you're at where you, sorry, I can't talk. You're at where you are now. You just don't believe. Um, and you, you know, God's going to judge according to the Bible and people who don't believe will be um, sent to hell, whatever exactly that means. What what would, I mean, it's, it's a vague question. It's a broad question, but what, what are kind of your thoughts if Christianity is true and you're, you're just, you're wrong about it, but you, yep. you wanted to convert, you know, if you can get what I'm saying. Yeah, I definitely can. Um, it's a, it's a scary thought, right? That's a scary mm -hmm. thing to think about. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny because if you were to ask me something like, well, you know, what if, uh, you know, what if it turns out that Allah is actually the true God? That doesn't strike the same chord with me, mm -hmm. right? Because I didn't grow up as a Muslim. Um, I grew up as an evangelical Christian. So, you know, that's a, I had the same feeling actually, and then I'll answer, sorry, I'll answer it better. Uh, but I had the same feeling in the middle of seminary. I had really started to, like I'd mastered Hebrew. Um, I was starting to do um, Targumic Aramaic. I'd taken Biblical Aramaic, and I was moving into Targumic Aramaic, so I was reading from Targum Onkelos, and I was really getting into um, trying to understand, like, Jewish perspective and the Jewish background. And I remember one night walking around outside and thinking to myself, I had, I had gone into a chat room, I don't know if they still have those, but I'd gone <laughs> into a chat room and I was talking with um, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And he was saying, you just, you don't understand the text that you're reading. 
And there was I was saying, well, you don't understand the text that you're, you know, that you're reading. Um, and and in the end, I remember walking around outside, going, "What if I'm wrong? Like, what if that Jewish rabbi is right?" And I mean, it really bothered me that night. And I guess <laughs> this sounds strange, but given my, given what I believed. Um, about the eternal security of the believer. Like part of me would say, "I'm." This sounds bad, but I'm good, right? <laughs> like uh, I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise under the day of redemption. Like I, 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 I can't escape His hand, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So I'm just a backslidden Christian in under that, you know under that uh, under that theological position. I guess one of the things that I think about this is that I, as I said before, I would love, I would love for Christianity to be true. Um, not necessarily all of the aspects of Christianity that I held to, because I think there are some very hateful aspects of Christianity that I held to out of necessity the way that I understood the text. Um, but I don't... I f as much as one can feel comfortable um, doing this, I, I, I feel like I have... I have cried out since my deconversion. Um... And I just, I don't know what more I can do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it's a very candid answer. Um, I mean, I think that if C.S. Lewis's theology is correct about the people who, only people that go to hell are people that would want to be there. I mean, and what you're saying is true, and I have no reason to doubt. Like, who am I to judge some person on the internet that I barely know on the, their deepest intentions of their heart? And I think, it, you know, it just brings a lot of interesting thoughts and discussion. But I mean... Uh, we're going to have to start to wrap things up now. I've really yeah, appreciated sure. your time. Uh, this has been a great conversation slash interview. I've really enjoyed kind of learning from you. Um, so just for people who maybe don't follow you, uh, just plugs what you do, things like this. If they want to follow more of your work, where do they go? Yeah, sure. Digital Hammurabi is who we are. DigitalHammurabi.com. We have a Digital Hammurabi, ugh, Digital Hammurabi uh, YouTube channel. My wife and I have written a couple of books. I don't know why we always have them sitting here, but because we were both a seriologist, we wrote Learn to Read Ancient Sumerian, the introduction for complete beginners. So if you're interested in learning Sumerian and learning how to read all those cool inscriptions, you can. The topic that we were going to talk about tonight, did the Old Testament endorse <laughs> slavery? Uh, I think the link is in the description. It is. Um, and I have a book forthcoming, should be in the next couple of months coming out. It's a publication a popular level uh, publication of my dissertation. Um, and that is called, uh, what's the title we came up with? Sorry, Learning to Pray in a Dead Language, Education and Invocation in Ancient Mesopotamia. So uh, it's about ancient schools and uh, what how, how priests prayed in, uh, you know, 4,000 years ago. Uh, to the gods in Mesopotamia. So, um, yeah, uh, 
sorry, I read something in the side chat. I've made it a point to not um, read things in the side chat. But Gavin, that was really mean of you. So thank you for that. Um, sorry. Uh, anyway, I'm going to stop reading stuff in the side okay. chat. Well, I'll add one thing in the side chat that's kind of funny. and We can kind of end on this lighthearted note um, from Darth Calculus. He says, if you ever have a promotion code for the sale of your books, please call it the code of digital. Hammurabi. So we'll close on that. We'll close with a half year uh, side chat notice. Uh, Dr. Josh, I really appreciated this conversation. Um, any last thoughts before we, before we wrap things up here? No, I just, I, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I think these kinds of conversations are really, really important because honestly, I think both sides, both polarized sides of, you know, this, this Christian atheist or whatever, skeptic um, debate often think a lot of things about the other side that maybe aren't necessarily true and that other side responds in kind and it's uh not that there's not a place for all that stuff because we all need entertainment i guess but um i think these kinds of conversations are nice um and i, I just really appreciated you having me on so yeah yeah I, you're always welcome um it's been a great conversation and i i really do enjoy learning uh from atheists and trying to understand why they believe what they believe or agnostics in your case, not just trying to make these broad stereotypes to generalize millions of people. Um, cause every person is individual and we have our own beliefs. Um, so yeah, I appreciate this conversation, Dr. Josh, uh, as for it here in apologetics, if you are new here, I encourage you to subscribe whether you're listening via YouTube or the podcast. Um, you can follow us at Twitter at here in apologetics at a apologetics. You can look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and now, Unfortunately, but I felt the need to do it. TikTok at here in apologetics. Um, yeah, that's a thing now, I guess. It's just it's the world we live in. So it is. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't know how your kids are, hold your kids are, but be careful with that, with that TikTok. It can be, it can be interesting what you can find yourself into. Um, oh, yeah. No, oh, I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash here in apologetics. We just reached 50% funding today. It's exciting. Um, awesome. Every donation. Congratulations. Thank you. So every donation helps. And that's it, Dr. Josh. Thank you for your time. I'm sure thank this you. won't be the last time I talk to you. Um, awesome. You. All right. Have a good night.